another takeaway that I've taken away from, from this experience is I find individual blame within healthcare very problematic. And it's a big problem for doctors, nurses, patients. It's, it's a big problem for, for everyone. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, remediescounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews. When nurse Denise Crawley connected with me about sharing her experiences with her own medical errors in the workplace, I thought it was a great opportunity to hear from a healthcare worker from their side and perspective of medical errors. As Denise states, there is a big problem with how the healthcare system responds to medical error, especially how systemic contributors to medical error are rarely addressed and how the response tends to focus on individual blame. This, in turn, fosters a medical culture of cover-up, denial, and fear. With medical error being the third leading cause of death for many decades, it is self-evident that the current process of dealing with medical mistakes is fatally flawed. Denise refers to this as the Swiss cheese model of how medical errors manifest in that within the various layers of healthcare, there are holes in each layer, and when these holes line up, medical harm and death can happen. While we often think of medical trauma exclusive to the patient, as Denise shares, healthcare workers can be traumatized by participating or witnessing or covering up medical errors. Denise has had to deal with the trauma and as you'll hear, is experiencing post-traumatic growth. If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all of the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need support for dealing with medical error and or living with complex chronic illnesses, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here's my interview with nurse Denise Crawley and a word of warning as always that some folks may be triggered by Denise's experiences within the healthcare system. 
thanks, Denise. So uh, my first question to all of my guests is, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I grew up in St. John, New Brunswick on the kind of the outskirts of the city. I had a very happy um, childhood um, for the most part. <laughs> uh, I was um, grew up in a, in a household with three other sisters. I was very precocious, uh, a little bit rebellious, uh, creative child. And yeah, it was a very happy childhood for the most part. Um, throughout my childhood, I was a little bit exposed to the healthcare system. I had um, family members that one family member in particular uh, within my extended family and our my extended family really had to lean, lean on each other for support. Uh, so that's had a, a huge impact on me and my, my upbringing. Okay, so it sounds like it may influenced your career direction earlier in your life. It definitely did. It most definitely did. I did end up going to university. My first degree was in anthropology. But after deciding that I didn't really want to pursue um, higher education uh, through that avenue, I went into nursing and I definitely believe that there, there was a significant connection uh, there for me. That's, that's why with, with my own family's history, that's why I wanted to go into healthcare, really to help serve other people. And so most of my guests uh, are telling stories from their experience as patients um, who've experienced medical error in the healthcare system. But your story and context, we're coming at it from a different perspective. So take us on that journey. You uh, went back for more education and for a nursing degree? Uh, yes, so I went um, for um, a nursing degree. Um, I started my program in um, January 2013, finished it in uh, uh, December 2014. I did the accelerated nursing program. The reason why I wanted to come on here today was because I have made my own medical errors. I think it's important that that part of the discussion be had as well uh, to talk about not only uh, to talk about the individuals who have had the errors and also um, because the individuals who have had the errors happen to them. Um, I suspect it's probably much more high than the individuals who have actually made the errors, but I think it's also it, it's an important piece to talk about to for individuals to talk about their own medical errors and for candor uh, to be present there and full disclosure and uh, and truth. And so that's why I uh, approach you here to uh, to chat. Yeah, so that's the perspective of the patients who've experienced medical error, they what you've just said, they would echo that, that transparency and honesty and uh, uh, just getting to what was the problem so that that problem doesn't happen again. But that's not the way the medical system works with medical errors for the most part. And I know mm -hmm. that from my own experience and I know that from all of the interviews. Um, and now I'm also hearing it from you, who was on the other side of the fence in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely, definitely agree. I think that there's a few different things um, that kind of factor into that. 
there's a certain amount of people, I wouldn't say this is necessarily everywhere because I don't think that is necessarily the case, but I think fear, fear of litigation, fear, fear of being accountable, held accountable, fear of blame, there, those are the reasons um, why there's not the candor that there should be about medical errors. Right, yeah, fear is such an impediment on so many levels in, in our lives. So mm -hmm. take us through uh, a couple of the incidents that you that happened to you during your career and how the system responded to those medical errors. Um, the first incident that I want to mention here, I, it involved morphine uh, and it happened in early June 2016. I'd had a patient that um, was always asking for their as-needed morphine. So one morning when I was preparing to do my med medication pass, I got the, their as-needed morphine out of the um, medication cabinet. And I locked it away in my drawer. I went around and did my med pass, which included this patient. The patient did not ask for their morphine at that time. It remained in my medication cabinet. So is this, uh, this medication cabinet on wheels that you're moving around? I'm just sort of trying to visualize that's being locked in. Yeah, it's on, it's on wheels. Um, you do have a key. You can lock, lock up your items, uh, but it is on wheels. It has um, drawers on the bottom part of it, in the bottom part of it, where you can put in your various like medications. Um, and then the top part of it is, is a computer screen that you can work from. So I had locked it up in the, in the cabinet there. A couple hours had gone by. I was actually going and um, helping another patient with a bed bath when this patient that I had gotten the morphine for asked another nurse, I'd like my medication here now. When they went, when another nurse went to go and retrieve the morphine that they were looking for, they discovered that I had already signed it out. And, and so, yeah, so that was, that was my error that I had gone ahead and I had done it ahead of time. Obviously that would have, that would have resulted in a little bit of a delay in the patient actually getting their morphine medication uh, because lo and behold, I actually had it in my, med my medication cart. So the error was that you were thinking ahead to bring the medication with you, anticipating that the patient would most likely need it. That is like, I was trying to be proactive. It was basically me getting out ahead of time. I should have waited for the, for the um, uh, person to actually ask me uh, for the medication, but I, I had gone and I had gotten out ahead of time. So yeah, that, that was the error that I had, you know, assumed and I had gotten out ahead of time. It was like two hours out of the narcotic cupboard before it was actually, you know, given to the patient. So and so that just sounds like a protocol breach. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Although I, I, I hear what you're saying, that there may have been a delay in the patient receiving the, the medication. So, mm -hmm. uh, and it sounds like a very minor incident. Mm -hmm. So how did this, uh, your place of employment respond? Well, they didn't actually formally uh, respond for like that quickly. I can't even really recall me knowing that an incident report had been done up that day. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I don't recall them. Like, they certainly didn't um, respond to it or deal with it in an efficient manner. There is a, uh, there's a couple factors that factor into this. Um, so that was my first medical error. Uh, the subsequent one um, involved Zofran. And for folks who don't know, what is Zofran? It's basically if you have nausea. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, so it's used to treat nausea. That day, and this one happened about a week after my um, incident with the morphine, a patient's primary nurse was in report at the change of shift. I was the overlapping nurse. Patient rang for their, or as needed, Zofran. I, and they happened to be on, it was an IV Zofran that they were getting. So I had to uh, prepare Zofran, the IV Zofran. I went down to the patient's room, discovered that they were on isolation contact isolation so I gowned up went inside sorry what what does that mean contact isolation uh they just have a certain condition where you know uh, they need to the nurses need to put gloves on well any professional that goes in they need to put gloves on they need to gown up basically that the healthcare professionals need on top of their regular uniform to prevent the um transmission of infection from patient to patient and a healthcare provider to healthcare provider Okay, so it's a patient safety aspect yes. um, that's yeah. only applicable to patients that are more susceptible, immune compromised, sicker. Yeah, yeah, they've had they have some sort of they have some sort of condition that um, that you need to go you'd need to gown up before you go into the room. Yeah, so after after I gowned up, I entered the uh, patient's room, and I believe it was him and his uh, girlfriend that were in the room. They came to me with a couple other different concerns as soon as I got into the room. Um, I think it was a commode that they wanted me to empty. And he also said that he needed a pain medication. In the midst of, you know, answering his questions and um, responding to his concerns, I hooked up the Zofran. I hooked it up to his con continuous infusion line. So he, had, he already had a, a, into his veins. Um, so I had to hook up the Zofran to that. And in the midst of me doing that, I ran the continuous infusion at the rate that the Zofran was supposed to go in and the Zofran did not get started. Sorry. And what was the infusion? What was the other stuff that was being infused? Potassium chloride. Went out, went back out to the nurse's station. I was due to go on my break. Um, before going on my break, um, I relayed to the nurse, the nurse that had come back from her break that could attend to this patient's needs. I told her this patient needs morphine and asked her to go in and help them out. And when she went in, she discovered my error. Yeah, she discovered my error and then she, she, she fixed it. Oh, okay. And so no harm to the patient? No harm to the patient. There could have been um, because with potassium can cause irregular heartbeat. And eventually, if the patient gets enough um, potassium, gets a big enough dose of potassium, it can lead to cardiac arrest. There's the margin um, for, there's the possibility for harm, but no harm came to the patient in that particular case. Okay, yeah, I can't, can't help but think, I wonder how frequently that happens every day. 
Yeah, you don't know, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, the patients don't know. Yeah, and there doesn't seem to be a very good reporting system. Um, so you said there there was another incident that you wanted to share. It's it's taken me a long time uh, to forgive myself for this one, and I should note while I worked as a nurse for two and a half years, I am actually no longer working as a nurse here now. But this one was one that I I beat myself up about uh, for a long time. And uh, this one involved insulin. And this one actually happened about a month after uh, the morphine incident. So early July, 2016, I had to drop insulin for, I think it was about five different patients. So for my last patient, they needed a long, uh, short acting and a long acting insulin. Um, So two different kinds of insulins drawn up in the same syringe. And I drew up my short acting insulin just fine. Um, and then um, I drew up my long-acting insulin, and I drew up just a little bit too much of the long-acting insulin, and I proceeded to um, eject about one unit, one, two units of the insulin to bring it down to the value that it should have been. Error in that case was when I did that, that technically put the concentration of the long versus short acting insulin off just a little bit. Now, as was the convention at that hospital, and I think most hospitals, most like institutions, there's always two nurses to check insulins in particular. And so when the other nurse saw what I had done, she corrected me and then an incident report was done up. Okay, so a couple of questions. How Mm -hmm. come you beat yourself up so much for that incident? I beat myself up for that because I felt like I knew better. And so what would have been the proper procedure when you realized that you had drawn a bit too much of the one type? Uh, the bit too much of the, the, the second type, I would have had to... Um, go back and completely restart like just drop the short acting one drop the long acting one okay so just start all over again Mm -hmm. okay so collectively these sound like the effect of them was negligible to no impact at all in terms of the patient Mm -hmm. but in terms of you it sounds like there was a much larger impact I would say, I would say so. These medication errors are the essence of why I am no longer working as a nurse and ultimately resulted in my termination um, from a healthcare facility in my community. Okay, so these incidents collectively, and I got to say again, they sound ubiquitous and based on what I know about the healthcare system, uh, they sound routine and procedural as opposed to some of the you know, really horrific medical errors that have happened in which the healthcare worker received no punishment or was not held accountable at all. So mm-hmm. it's hard for me to reconcile, you know, I hear these horrible stories and nothing was done to change the system. 
And then I hear your story where these relatively minor incidents that had no uh, impact on the patients, basically, yet um, you lost your job. I, I'm trying to reconcile those two things. I was on probation at that time, and it was the convention. Um, any new practicing nurse, at least at that time, any new practicing nurse, they start at the healthcare facility, they're automatically on probation. So I was still on probation at that time. And when I tried to fight it, the union rep said, you can be fired for very little reason. And I should also note as well, I didn't really have that strong of a rapport uh, with the team that I was working with. And I made myself out to be a little bit of a whistleblower in the sense of when, within two months of me starting on this particular floor, I came to the nurse manager about bullying. And then, though it hadn't, it wasn't really a concern before, after I came to her about bullying, there was kind of like a, an assumption that I didn't know how to get along with people. And I think that contributed to how seriously my errors were taken. So I think that that contributed to it for sure. Okay, yeah, that that bridges the gap, even though the incidents were minor, it's the pre-existing discord amongst the team members because you were a bit of a whistleblower is a, a factor in why you were fired. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it was, you know, it's been like a, a very interesting, like learning process for me. One of my takeaways is obviously I cannot rush myself. I cannot let others rush me and I cannot let myself rush myself. So it, 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 it provided a, a good amount of, um, an, of education uh, for me. Another takeaway that I've taken away from from this experience is I find individual blame within healthcare very problematic um, and it's a big problem for doctors nurses patients it's it's a big problem for for everyone and and I guess that's probably it's again it's in some healthcare facilities not another but I think the presence of it in any healthcare facility any facility that has patients that they're serving that's a problem. Another uh, piece that I wanted to mention that relates to this is the Swiss cheese model of accident causation. Um, so it was a model that was first propounded by James T. Reason and Dante Oriandella, and it was back in 1990. And the model is basically that you think of multiple slices of Swiss cheese piled on top of each other. And they each, each layer has holes in it. Each layer has, you know, imperfections, faults in it. There's a few different layers to it. It goes from the individual, you know, we can have individual failings. We can have some systemic failings. We can have, you know, unit failings. We can have, there's, there's a few different layers to it. The issue is, is when those layers align together and there's a hole and that's when that's when an error happens when they when they align together yeah it sort of reminds me of 
um, when somebody's diagnosis is missed in the healthcare system and they say, oh, well, you know, you fell through the cracks. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just a different model. It's, it's the hole in the cheese and the Swiss cheese that some patients can fall through. Or in this context, it's uh, the medical errors come through these holes. Yeah. So if that's the current model of how uh, medical errors may manifest, what's the solution? Or did they propose a solution for that? I think it's just something that's been embraced, but not necessarily everywhere came quite clearly through to me. For example, uh, in my particular instance, the time of my errors staffing was also an issue. We, we were short staffed. We didn't really have more patients, but we had patients with more comorbidities, more like health conditions, you know, dressings and IVs. And, you know, we just, we just had more work to do. When I approached two separate charge nurses, approached them about being short staffed, they pretty much dismissed me and said, no, we're not. Oh, no, we're not. And in so doing, if you're looking at that Swiss cheese model, you take that layer of Swiss cheese out. It, it became much more about the individual uh, with me and my own individual failings and imper imperfections. And I think this approach of individual blame is why there's so many people skirting, you know, accountability. Like they're, they're trying to push it, put it off on someone because they don't want to be held accountable, like take all the blame themselves. So in a sense, I really, I really understand that. I really get that. It's something that needs to, uh, it needs to change for sure, because it's, it's a healthcare system. It's a healthcare team it, you work, you work together. Teamwork is a fundamental, you know, you're talking about like the patient, their family, uh, the nurse, the doctor, like it's, it's teamwork. It's not done just by one individual. And there's so many different systems that come into play. I just think that we really need to take a step back from, from indiv individual blame if we really want to be honest about errors and hopefully help prevent them. Yeah, I concur. The, the way that the system is currently set up is obviously not working uh, for patients that have been harmed by medical error. And it, doesn't sound like it's working on a systemic level because medical error is still the third leading cause of death many, many decades now. Mm -hmm. So obviously that's not working. And from your testimony, it's obviously not working for all of the healthcare workers either. Just backing up a wee bit about the, the takeaways that you've learned from these experiences. Often when I interview folks who've been harmed by medical error and many of my counseling clients, there is a phenomenon which can occur, which is called post-traumatic growth. And as you described what you learned about yourself and the system, it reminded me that it sounded like growth. Hmm. I, I would say so. And I've kind of like, I've come familiarized with that term quite a bit um, through, through my experience. It's taken me a long time to, uh, to get there. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And, you know, kind of as relates to that, I think we really need to embrace this, this ideal of to air is human, really to 
embrace humility and self-compassion, I, I have I have definitely grown through my experience. I've definitely like learned a lot. My my big takeaway from from all this, I finally I feel like several years later I can finally say, you know, you can be competent and still make a medical error. You can be compassionate and you can make a medical error. And I think that's something that we really need to take to heart. Yeah, those two things are not diametrically opposed. They can coexist, medical mm-hmm. error and being compassionate and being competent, absolutely. Uh, we're in Canada, so we have, for our car insurance, what's called no-fault insurance, <clears throat> which basically means you can have a car accident, <laughs> you won't be found fault of that. So there's pros and cons to that. But And I've heard, but I've not investigated deeply, that in some Scandinavian countries, and maybe you've heard this too, that they sort of take that same approach to medical error, uh, a no-fault uh, sort of approach, so that there is looking at the systemic problems, how do we prevent the problem from happening again, but there's not that lay the blame on an individual aspect to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I definitely think that we, I, I believe we should move towards that, I strongly do. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it solves a lot of the problems that are currently with how the system deals with medical errors. I I definitely do think that we need to move towards that for sure, because when if a healthcare provider makes a medical error, I would say a good majority of them know that they've done something wrong and they feel horrible about it. I think that most people enter the profession for very noble reasons this divisive approach that we seem to have, uh, where we have do have the tendency to lay individual blame, or at least in some institutions, again, it does not serve the healthcare providers and it doesn't serve the patients. Yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, I've talked to so many patients and they said that they were re-traumatized by the system and how the system reacted to the medical error and that they wouldn't have had that other trauma, that deepened trauma, if the healthcare worker had have been allowed to just apologize and say, mm. you know, we're going to fix this so it doesn't happen to anyone else. But like you say, that's not the way our system's set up. It's very confrontational and litigious. And the patients always lose out on the litigious part uh, 98% mm-hmm. of the time. So yeah, we definitely need to redo how we do and respond to medical error. Circling back to the post-traumatic growth, you started an organization and you're writing about your experiences. These both sound like post-traumatic growth. Yes, I, I would say so. I, I would say so, although it's been, you know, it hasn't been like a straight like trajectory, you know, uh, by any means. Yeah, I started uh, my own organization, uh, the Nurses' Rights Association, and I am also writing um, a book about my experiences as well. Okay. And how's that process going, writing? It's, it's, going, it's going well, I think. I've kind of gone back and forth whether I'm gonna I'm writing it just for me or whether I intend to publish it. But it's it's kind of like a it's been a mutually it's been a very beneficial process because I feel like it's made me progress 
in my post-traumatic growth a lot more i mean people people say that writing book writing and getting things out journaling is very cathartic and it definitely has been for me for sure therapeutic it can be Mm -hmm. well denise thank you for giving this unique perspective of someone who's on the other side of the medical error and how the system responded to the incidents and it is really heartening to hear that as traumatic as those experiences were to you in your life that you've essentially made lemonade out of those lemons I, I, I hope so, and I will continue to do so. And uh, thank you so much for for having me on, and it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, Denise. And one final thing, if folks wanted to find you on social media, how would they do that? Uh, well, uh, you can find me on um, Facebook um, and on Twitter. Okay, and what's your handle on Twitter? I think it's Denise Crawley, at Denise Crawley. Okay. I'll include links to both your Facebook and your Twitter in the show notes so people can find you. Thanks, Denise, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Well, a big thank you to Denise Crawley for stepping forward to share her experiences uh, working as a nurse and experiencing medical error in the workplace. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all of the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need support for dealing with medical error and or living with complex chronic illnesses, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com.